Jason Pfeiffer is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. A veteran of the publishing world, he has previously worked as an editor at Fast Company, Men's Health, Maxim, and Boston, and has written about business and technology for New York, Slate, Popular Mechanics, and others. Jason also hosts a podcast called Pessimist's Archive, which deals with the history of our unfounded fear of technology. A lot has changed in, in the last 10 years in terms of um, access to capital, in terms of the tools available to entrepreneurs. The number of people right now who are building businesses that are just a one-person operation, one-person businesses, is off the charts compared to what it used to be. In this conversation with Ivy's co-founder, Barry Merrick, Jason tells stories from his time at Entrepreneur Magazine and discusses the common traits he often finds in great entrepreneurs. Please enjoy our conversation with Jason Pfeiffer. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the grad school for life. And our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. Attaining quality sleep is key to a healthy lifestyle and vital in achieving success. Plenty of research has shown the indisputable benefits of getting a good night's rest. InstaSleep is a drug-free, quick-melt sleep aid that is gluten-free, kosher, and non-habit-forming. They taste great and help you fall asleep faster without morning grogginess. An indispensable travel essential for busy professionals, frequent travelers, and jet-setters alike... InstaSleep helps counter jet lag and sleep deprivation caused by time zone changes. Ivy Podcast listeners get 18% off by using promo code IVSLEEP at checkout on Amazon. Learn more on their website, www.upgradeyoursleep.com. Upgrade your sleep and take on the day. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us today. In our show is Jason Pfeiffer, who's the editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine. Jason, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So what's it like being the editor-in-chief at such a great magazine? Uh, you get a lot of Facebook requests from people that you don't know. That was the very first thing that happened when I became editor-in-chief. I got a ton of random Facebook requests, which was really weird. Um, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's so much fun to have a whole lot. There's so many things kind of packed into what this job is for me, right? I mean, it, in one way, it's a kind of culmination of everything that I've done in magazines. I'd always wanted to run a magazine, and I had no idea what magazine that would be. I didn't know where my path would take me, if I'd ever actually get there. And to have it be at a magazine that I think is just at the center of culture right now is really, really exciting. And then also, it's just been really fun going out there and being an advocate for a, for a whole group of people. That's not something that I think every job gives you that opportunity. But entrepreneurism is such a such a culture, you know, it's such a mindset, and to be in a place where people turn to me and ask me uh, to kind of speak about entrepreneurism, about what entrepreneurs are looking for and need, is just is just really exciting and also a, a great weight that I am still figuring out how to how to carry. So, Lisa, how did you get here? What was the journey like? You know, growing up to 
becoming editor in chief at Entrepreneur. Yeah, so should I start at like age one and just yeah. move forward? Yeah. So <laughs> it was a dark night. Um, I started out in community journalism. I didn't have any big New York internships. I didn't have any connections. I went to Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, and then afterwards wanted to get into journalism. I didn't know exactly what that was going to be, but I knew I just wanted to go out there and do it because the thing about journalism is that when you are a reporter, people just invite you into their worlds. It's an excuse to talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to about things you wouldn't normally talk about. And that is so cool. And so I started with the first job I could get, which was the Gardner News, 6,000 circulation daily newspaper in North Central Massachusetts. And I hated it. Have you ever been to a Zoning Board of Appeals meeting? I have not. Never go. When you get that invitation, turn it down. I had to go to one like every week. It was soul sucking. I just, I really hated that job. And yet, when I look back on it now, I realize how, though I hated it, how valuable it was because it taught me things that I still use today. It taught me how to write on deadline. It taught me how to find sources. It taught me how to see things and think of stories. All really, really valuable skills. And, and I, I say that because I think it's really valuable when people are taking their first jobs to think not just about whether or not this job fulfills whatever ego they have at the moment or whatever their ultimate ambitions are, but rather, what can I learn from every place that I'm at? And if you can learn something from a place, then it's worth being there until you've learned it. After a year, I quit because I really, I really hated it, but I also, I, I felt like I wanted to write for large publications and those publications weren't going to hire me because all of the experience I had was at this tiny paper and there was no way that I was going to send them my resume and that they would, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times was going to hire me. But freelancing exists in journalism and I can sell an individual story and just prove myself that I can, I can do the work. I can do the work you expect of the people that you hire. I can do it. And so I, sh I proved it to them on an individual basis. I quit my job, I sat in my bedroom, I, literally next to a graveyard uh, for nine months in Holden, Massachusetts, pitching everywhere. And eventually I, I landed some places, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, Salon.com, and that really launched my, uh, that launched my career. Um, I took another newspaper job, I got a magazine, um, and then uh, after about a year I got a job offer at Men's Health, and that's what brought me to New York. And then uh, I just kept, you know, I kept working and I kept freelancing as well, kind of constantly trying to think about what skills did I need to build, what other experiences could I find through other editors and through other magazines. So I've, at this point now, I, you know, I worked for Men's Health, Fast Company, Maxim, and then Entrepreneur, I've written for GQ, New York, ESPN Magazine, Popular Mechanics, Slate. It, it's just, it's just been, it, but it's all just been like that kind of hustle and that feeling of I never want to stay still. I always want to make sure that I'm learning from everyone by doing. So it sounds like you've actually written for a whole slew of publications yeah. across multiple different verticals, and eventually you ended up at Entrepreneur Magazine. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. What drew you to the mission of this magazine? So the first thing, I'll be honest with you, that drew me to the magazine was not necessarily the mission, because as I, you know, as, as you just heard from my experience, I've really always been a generalist. I've been moving around, and I, and I, I love engaging in lots of different kinds of stories and ideas and people and things. Um, and what I found after a while in my career was that I started to really love 
molten environments. And I, I ripped that phrase off from Michael Dubin, uh, founder of Dollar Shave Club, who we put on the cover and, uh, a couple months ago. And, and he said that about um, his own career, that he really loves to find molten environments, places that are not hardened, that don't know exactly uh, what they are yet, and that you can go in and really shape. And I had felt that too after a while, that I really didn't want to go into places that were just doing the same thing for 15 years and, and they just want me to come in and do the same thing that the guy before me did, right? I, I, I'm done with that. I don't like that. That's boring. So instead, I was really looking for opportunities where there were media brands that were in big rethink mode. What are we? What can we do? What does the new product look like? And that's where Entrepreneur happened to be at that time. They reached out to me to be executive editor, which is the number two of the magazine. And I, I took it because of that really exciting kind of um, um, reinvention that they were thinking about. And then a few months later, to my great fortune, the editor-in-chief took off. And uh, I presented a plan for what I wanted to do with the magazine, and they liked it, and I stepped into the role. Awesome. So for most of us, you know, we pick up a magazine or we read articles online, and you know, we consume it, and it like that experience is very common to all yeah. of us. But very few of us actually think about okay, entrepreneurship, and you can talk about so many different things, mm -hmm. A to Z. How does it work, you know, to create an editorial calendar? So if you think about a year at your magazine, like when you sit and think about how you're going to plan out each particular issue, but the year overall, how yeah. do you go about doing Well, that? I wish that we were able to plan a whole year ahead and then just execute it because that would be a lot less stressful than what we actually do. I mean, here's a, to, to the editorial calendar that you bring up, a tip in case anybody is ever pitching the media or trying to engage in the media. Every media outlet has an editorial calendar. You can generally find it by just like Googling uh, entrepreneur editorial calendar, entrepreneur media kit or something like that. Um, what's on the editorial calendar is 75% is not going to happen. And the reason for that is because editorial calendars, and I'm not just talking about entrepreneur, I'm talking about every media outlet. Uh, what, what that is is really a, it's really a pitch to average. It's basically a whole bunch of things that we think that our readers would really like, that advertisers would also be interested in engaging in. And if an advertiser is interested in it, if they find it, if we sell it and they buy into it, then uh, they, you know, they buy adjacent to it, for example, then we'll do it. But otherwise, we won't and we'll find something else. Because I think that the, you know, the exciting thing about being in media is that you're constantly getting new ideas and you're constantly seeing what's out there in the world. And I don't want to be stuck doing something that I thought of six months ago if somebody just told me something really new and really awesome and I'm excited to tell my readers about that. So we plan, but we don't plan, you know, and that means that what I really need to be doing is constantly, constantly talking to people and just taking meetings and going to events and saying, what are you doing? What are you seeing? What's the story? And putting that into the magazine. So it's a mix. Uh, is there a particular core editorial, uh, like are there core pieces though that you definitely stick to or is everything kind of open there? Well, I mean there are core, if you're talking about the editorial calendar, I mean there are core the kind of tent poles that we do, you know, we, we always have, we, we have a, a June issue that used to be 100 brilliant companies, we changed it to 100 brilliant ideas, I just thought that felt a little more fresh, but the 100 brilliant stays, right? And, and then there are a couple other things throughout the year that we'll, that we'll always do, there's a franchise 500. Um, but let me answer the question a different way, which is like, is there a sensibility that we're always looking for? 
anymore? Because yes, the answer is yes, and it's and it's fairly new. It's something that I brought into the magazine. You know, the magazine for 40 years, or roughly the 40 years that it's been around, has been a small business magazine because the word entrepreneur just meant small business person, and so that was the language, that was the people that we spoke to. That's not true anymore. We all know that. You know that very well. That's not true anymore. Now the word entrepreneur is it's a, it's a mindset. It's a cultural identity. It's a badge of honor, and that means that there are so many kinds of people who are a, who are identifying as entrepreneurs. And we need to serve them all. And that's a challenge, right? Because they all have different needs. They all have different experiences. They're all at different levels of their business. Or some don't even have a business and they're just trying to get inspired. And so what do we do for them? And the insight that I had after talking to a lot of people is that there is one thing that all those people have in common and that we can speak to universally and that is the experience of entrepreneurism, right? No matter if you're like a kid selling something on eBay or you're the CEO of a venture-backed company, you have this feeling of loneliness, of feeling crazy, of, I mean, I'm sure you know it, right? I mean, of, of just of feeling like, what the hell am I doing? And uh, I, wanna, I wanna harness that because I think that it's, one, it's cathartic. But two, because the greatest entrepreneurs face that and then they face the unknown, and then they figure out ways to overcome it. Entrepreneurs are problem solvers, is basically what I'm saying. And I think that the best stories that I can tell are ones in which people are solving problems, because once you read enough of those and you get to know how people are thinking about things, you calibrate to their way of thinking. You calibrate to what a problem solver is. And so that is ultimately at the core of basically everything I put in the magazine. Okay, fascinating. I really want us to dive a bit deeper into this. Yeah. The entrepreneurial experience. Mm -hmm. What are you mentioned? Uh, certain you know uplifting themes like loneliness, craziness. <laughs> yeah, very uplifting. So, uh -huh. so what like if you really to were to dive in, what are really the themes that keep appearing in common in that entrepreneurial experience that you found? I mean, I think that when you talk to entrepreneurs, the thing that happens over and over again is that you see people who had a plan and then nothing went according to plan. That is, that's basically the story every single time, right? And, uh, and I think that the thing that entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs do best is um, plan, replan, 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 right? Like they never stop planning, but at the same time, they know that they can't hold firm to something that isn't working, that they need to constantly constantly be reevaluating what it is that they're doing. And when you take that idea of reevaluation, you start to see it everywhere. You know, I mean I think that when you when you look at serial entrepreneurs, and we feature a lot of serial entrepreneurs, you see that they don't do the same thing over and over again. They're not even in the same industry over and over again. They're doing constantly different things because I think that they have identified something deep in them that isn't about, you know, retail or isn't about selling lamps, like whatever, you know, it's, a, it's, it's about, um, it's about uh, that they love to build, right? Or they love to, they love to tell stories or they love to build um, audiences or like there's something at the core that they're able to express over and over again in completely different ways, but it's because they have that ability to reinvent that they're able to do that. And so I think that what I see most, flexibility. Okay, awesome. Um, so a lot of entrepreneurs and people who want to be entrepreneurs or people who interact with a lot of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. read your magazine. Yeah. Um, and then many of them also want their stories showcased. Mm -hmm. Right? They want to tell their stories. So then you have individuals who are running companies that are constantly getting pressed, but then there are you know, orders of magnitude more 
people who want to get their stories out there. So as you mentioned, a lot of people added you on LinkedIn the moment you took up this position. Uh What kinds of stories stand out to you for companies that are just up and coming? What differentiates them where you think, okay, you know what, maybe this is a story worth telling? In, in entrepreneur, yeah. yeah. So let, let, let me before I talk about entrepreneur, let me answer that kind of more broadly because I think that people make the mistake of thinking that their story belongs anywhere. And if they're looking for press, they often reach out not thinking necessarily. I have a great story that's perfect for this for this media outlet. You know, they think um, I want press from that media outlet. And when you reach out to press, and you are approaching them with what you want instead of what they want, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to fail, right? I mean, I get emails from people who tell me, uh, you know, are you interested in covering my company? It would, the press would be great for my business, right? And it's like, no, no, because I'm not here to do PR for you. That's not, that's not my role. I mean, as, as editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur, I want to help everybody who's an entrepreneur, but frankly, as somebody who's running a magazine who has to think about their readers, I'm looking for stories that are for my readers. So you need to really spend time getting to know what kinds of stories each publication runs and then reaching out to the ones that you think you have a great story for them based on what you know about what they run. Like think really hard about it. Don't just blast out. So for me, because I really love problem solving and I really love getting into what entrepreneurs do and and, and think and and how they thought through things, I find that the, 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 the stories that really connect with me are often when somebody is differentiating themselves in a way that's completely surprising. You know, I, I get, here's unsurprising. I'm a 19-year-old entrepreneur. I'm a 20-year-old entrepreneur. Right? I, those, those show up in the subject lines all the time. Those people think that they're differentiating themselves because of that, but they're not because I get 20 of those emails a day. You know? But what differentiates yourself is if you tell me something really, really clever that you did to build your business. Good example, I got an email once from a woman who built a butter dish. All right, it's a butter dish on a hinge. Nothing really special about the butter dish. We're not Butter Dish Monthly. Don't usually run about butter dishes. But um, the reason she built it was because uh, you can um, you can leave butter out. You don't have to refrigerate it, but then it gets it gets nice and uh, nice and uh, soft and spreadable, right? But of course, but if you have a butter dish that's like this, it'll bang against the butter. Then you have butter everywhere. Terrible. You make it a hinge. Really simple, right? But we don't write about that. I mean, that was small. It's not like she's taken over the world with the butter dish. So how did she get press an entrepreneur? I'll tell you how. Because when she reached out to me. She wrote me this very nice human email, not a press release, not some formal thing. I'm just a guy, I'm just a guy, just write me like a guy, I'm sitting here in shorts, right? (laughs) But she wrote me and she told me this really brilliant thing that she did. And here it is. She wanted to do market research on her butter dish. She wanted to figure out the right pricing, the colors, the dimensions, whatever. She wanted to hire a firm to do this and she found one and they quoted her $10,000. She didn't have $10,000. So what do you do? Well, here's what she did. She realized that she could spend $90 on a one-way ticket from LAX, she lives in LA, from LAX to Vegas, just the cheapest cheapest flight she could find, just to get past security. And then she doesn't get on that flight. You don't need to get on the flight. Instead, you just hang out in the airport and you have a constantly recycling group of people who have nothing to do but answer your market research questions. Right, so now for $90 and a whole bunch of hours, she was able to do all the work that otherwise would have cost her $10,000. And that is how she honed in on the exactly right butter dish. And that's how she sold the damn thing. 
That's brilliant, you know? That's exactly the kinds of thing that I want to tell my readers because that is, it's, it's, it's ingenuity, it's innovativeness, and on a really small but practical scale. And I love those stories. So I think that the big takeaway for people is be thinking about how you differentiate yourself and then throw that away and think again, how do you differentiate yourself? Because it's probably not what you're thinking. Okay, awesome, that's great. Um, and so many people uh, who reach out to you, on the one hand, that there will be entrepreneurs that want their story out there, but there are also many people who are aspiring writers yeah. and editors who mm -hmm. want to succeed you know, in the field of journalism. And uh, many of them now also want to write a lot more about entrepreneurship and yeah. so forth. When you think about you know, which freelancer stories to use or which writers to hire, um, directly, what are the key qualities you look for? What do you think makes for the most successful writers that you see? Oh man, I mean, journalism has room for lots of different kinds of skills. You know, I mean, there are writers that I use that are actually not great writers, but they're great interviewers or they're great researchers, right? I mean, it's actually pretty hard to find someone that just nails everything. Uh, and you, so you go to the person that you need for the kind of story that you need. And, and that's why there are editors, right? To work with writers and to shape things. So I would say that if you want to build yourself up as a journalist, the most important thing to do is to be really mindful of what else you need to learn. You know, I think that the, the people who I would hire at the top levels of a publication, like I, I, I hired an executive editor number two a few months ago. What am I looking for at that level? I'm looking for someone who has really succeeded in building up their entire range of skill sets, right? Great writing, great editing, great interviewing, great research, and great story development. You have to be able to do all of that stuff. And so, again, actually going back to what I was talking about earlier with my, with my own career, I think it's really valuable for people to think, and, and, and I can speak from experience about this in journalism, to think about what skill set can you learn at each job, even if that job doesn't feel right for you. I mean, I took that job at Men's Health. I, I didn't care about health. I, I mean, you know, my, my abs are rock solid, but like, you know, otherwise, I didn't care about it. And uh, you know why I took it? I mean, I took it, one, because it gave me experience in national magazines, but two, because it taught me packaging. Packaging is a kind of editing. Uh, if you if you flip through a magazine and you see like lots of pages that are all kind of bitsy, you know, but they're all on a theme, or there's a section in the front of the magazine, that's packaging. We call that packaging. It's hard. It's like a it's a skill set because it requires a real economy of words and language, and there's a lot a lot of work that goes into those tiny little things. And so I learned packaging. And then once I learned packaging, I took a job at Fast Company, honestly not because I cared that much about Fast Company, but because they were going to give me the opportunity to learn long-form editing. And I really wanted to do that. And then while I was there, I was lucky enough that they also built up a video department. And then I said, I need to learn video too. And so I started working with the video team. And I just kept looking for those opportunities to build my skill sets and kept being aware and thinking about what I was deficient in. And I think that once you do that enough, you will build yourself up into a really versatile and, vers and, val and valuable journalist and, um, and you'll be able to work anywhere. Okay, great. So uh, you've been, like you mentioned, you know, you have this very fluid editorial calendar. Yeah. Um, how much of the kind of trends that you're seeing right now uh, are ones that are constantly recurring? So 
if you were to reflect on okay past 10 years of entrepreneurial stories mm -hmm. versus these days like what has been changing what are becoming more common themes that everybody's talking about mm, good question i you know i mean having not run entrepreneur for 10 years i i i can only kind of look back at what people are talking about um i i would say that a lot has changed in, in the last 10 years in terms of um, access to capital, in terms of the tools available to entrepreneurs. The number of people right now who are building businesses that are just a one-person operation, one-person businesses, is off the charts compared to what it used to be. I mean, we used to be in a employee-based economy, and now we're, we're, we're really moving into what is often very much a kind of solopreneur, solo entrepreneur, whatever, you know, economy. And uh, and so that brings its own difficulties and skill sets where where people have to be so many different things, I think, in a way that they necessarily didn't have to before, where at one point somebody could be really good at marketing and and that would be great, right? And they would, they would be able to have, have a job. But now you have to be able to do so many different things. And so I think often what you see in the stories that we're running are people who are learning to do the things that they necessarily weren't didn't think that they didn't think that they could do or didn't think that they needed to do. I mean, the the the, the butter dish woman is a perfect example, right? I mean, I think that she was a she had, had some background in design, maybe, but she had to learn how to market research. I mean, that's a totally different thing. But that's what you have to do when you're when you're one person who maybe went out to raise some money, maybe didn't, but certainly are using now all these kind of available tools to be able to build your business. So I think that that's a big change. Um, but honestly, you know, over the course of a year, when I look at the stories in Entrepreneur, I, I see I see like more similarity than difference um, because I think that ultimately entrepreneurism is so much about solving your own individual problem and those problems are going to be ever changing that the only way to talk about them is to just talk about people like scrambling you know people with their hair on fire and that that doesn't change i mean you know people who were building businesses 10 years ago had also had their hair on fire and so it's in some ways talking to people about the environment that they're in right now and the kind of unique challenges that they're going to be facing, but at the same time going down to those really, really core experiences about what makes an entrepreneur today and what can you learn from everybody else who's gone through it. Okay, so to dive into those like more universal things that, yeah. that are always recurring. So if you had to name three key ingredients that you constantly see for entrepreneurs uh -huh. when they're achieving success, but also three key kind of like common mistakes that entrepreneurs make. Mm. What would you say they are? Oh my God, okay. Let's see, I mean, three three things. Um, grit, uh, I mean, Reid Hoffman talks a lot about grit, that, you know, grit is like the, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the, the invisible ingredient. You know, you have to, you have to have that grit. Um, uh, um, networks, I think, are really important. I think the people who succeed have figured out how to build networks that they, um, that they contribute to and that, and that contribute to them. Um, and, and uh, you know, within that as, as well, mentorship. You know, finding that person who can help you, being open to saying, hey, I need help, can you help me? I think that's really key. Um, and then three, I think, is um, 
Um, willingness to try new technologies. I mean, that's we just we have Gary Vaynerchuk on the cover in June, and Gary is famous, literally famous now, for being willing to to just throw himself into absolutely any new technology. He encourages people to try to be somewhere first and then leave the second that it doesn't seem to be right. Right, you have to be constantly moving. And so I think that often the people who are really succeeding are ones who are willing to just jump into anything. I mean, to go back to Michael Dubin, right? The way that he launched that company was was by uh, creating a funny viral video that cost him like next to nothing, right? It, that's not, if you, had, if you had somebody who was stuck in an old way of thinking, they would have thought about having to create a big marketing plan and this whole rollout and there would be, there would be like earned media and all that stupid stuff. No, he just made a viral video and he threw it out there. Um, three things that people, three things that mis people make mistakes on, um, I mean, uh, I think I think one is uh, I said this already, but I just think it's so important. Um, holding on too long to a plan, you know, you build the plan and then you feel like you've got to do it because because you felt confident about it or because somebody told you that it was right or because your investors or your partners said it was right. But you need to be able to shift constantly. So I think that people really tank themselves when they hold on too long and they don't move fast enough. Um, number two, I think is. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I mean, selfishness, uh, you know, you have to really be, and, and I mean that in like so many different ways. Um, I think that people can wall themselves off from their peers if they're too selfish, if they're always out there and it's very clear that they just like want, 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 but they're not willing to give. It's so important to, I think, be able to go out there and be valuable to other people without always asking something in return because that's how you build those relationships. And I think sometimes people are just straight up selfish. They just can't think past what they need. Um, and then uh, three, boy, I mean, there's just like so many, so many ways that people, um, people go wrong. Um, but I'll tell you here, the first one that comes to mind in terms of like reaching out to me, and I think it's also valuable in terms of community building, is um, not willing to be vulnerable. You know, I think that I think that if you are not vulnerable to other people, to the media, if you're looking for press, um, to your staff, uh, to yourself, um, you're going to, uh, you're going to dig your heels in, you're not going to share what you're thinking, what's inside, or you're not going to be open to change. And uh, I mean, when I, uh, to speak in my own world, when people reach out to me for press, and sometimes they have a great story, and sometimes they didn't reach out to me, sometimes I found them and I, and I approached them, and I want to tell their story, and they are not willing to be vulnerable. Right? They will not tell me what they did wrong. They will not be open about their mistakes. And if you're not open about your mistakes, you won't get press. Investors won't trust you. Uh, your colleagues will feel distant from you. I think you really need to embrace vulnerability. Awesome six lessons that you just came up with there on the fly. So good, thanks. Really, at the start, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get all six. But good. That was excellent. So maybe just in a quick fire way, yeah. um, let's talk about some of the most like trending topics. Sure. And maybe you can give like a quick opinion on it. Okay. You know, based on uh, how it comes across. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw them out. Uber and everything that's happened around there. Travis's resignation. What are your thoughts? I can't believe I can't believe it took this long. I mean, this is something that we were talking about years ago. That that there was a bad culture at Uber. That Travis seemed to be the problem, and yet the people on the inside of that company, the board of directors, let it go so long that they have a gigantic, like a bonfire on their hands, right? I mean, I think that you really need to be able to react 
when you see problems. And I, I you know, listen, I don't work at Uber. Um, I, I'm not a board of directors of Uber. I, I don't have any insider knowledge, but I just know that we've been seeing this story for years, for years. And you have to think, somebody should have known to do this earlier. Okay. What about um, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, initial coin offerings? Totally bores me, to be honest. Totally bores me. I mean, I wish that I bought into Bitcoin at the very beginning because I'd be a multimillionaire right now. But I think that it's a fantasy of the, of the tech world and I don't see any mass adoption to it. It's, it's, it's been interesting to see people play around with it. Um, it's interesting. I loved the journalism as people were trying to figure out who created Bitcoin, but I don't see it as transformational. I could be totally wrong about that, but at this point, I'm not interested in startup stories about Bitcoin wallets and all that stuff. I, I, I just feel like we're done. Okay, got it. Uh, the fundraising environment. Is this a good time to raise money? What are the expectations based on what you're, what you're seeing in terms yeah. of like the amount of capital out there and the appetite to invest? I think it is. I mean, you'll hear different opinions all the time, right? I mean, I think that you've heard that there's too much investment out there. You've heard that investors are, are, are pulling back. I think that one of the major problems, of course, is the kind of uh, feedback loop of investors, where um, investors want to invest in, in, in the kinds of companies that are already out there. Uh, so they aren't necessarily willing to take a leap on companies that don't frame themselves as the, as the Uber of. And, uh, and yet, even there, I see a reaction to that. I see places like the Cairo Society that are really looking for opportunities to invest in companies that are turned down by these other things because what they're doing is too ambitious for the kind of safe investor that's just looking for the next Uber of. So I think that there are always going to be kind of shifts, but there are, are a lot of people with a lot of money out there um, who are really excited about this world of new ideas and entrepreneurs constantly pushing to new terrain and I, I think that that money is out there. It's not easy to find. No entrepreneur will tell you that it's easy to raise money but I, I do think that it's a good it's a good environment. Okay, great. Um, so Ivy is all about community. Yeah. It's about bringing people together from very different fields who believe in making a difference. Um, so you mentioned also the word community yeah, a couple a lot, times. Yeah. Um, so what's your kind of conception as far as like the importance of community when it comes to entrepreneurship? You mentioned in one of your lessons, like the networks that you build mm -hmm. and you cultivate. What's your philosophy when it comes to the power of communities? Oh, I mean, I think the community is so important because, I mean, for entrepreneurism in, in particular, I mean, I've said, I've used this word probably as many times as I've used community. It's lonely. It's lonely. You often feel totally isolated when you're building when you're building a business, and to be able to have access to peers that you can bounce ideas off of, that you can find or going through similar things and find solutions, I think is so so important. And you know, when you go out to conferences, entre entrepreneurism conferences, uh, and you ask people what they're doing there, you know what they say? The number one thing they always say they're there to meet people. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, people will pay quite a lot of money to go and meet somebody who might like work down the street from them. But that's because uh, that's because it's hard it's hard to do that without some kind of infrastructure bringing people together. So I think that it's I think it's really important to go out there and and meet and engage and build your own join communities and also build your own personal communities. Okay. Well, we're very excited to share your story with the Abbey community, and I, I want to ask you specifically: How do you think a community like this can support? your endeavors at Entrepreneur Magazine mm, and beyond? It's a good question. I'm excited to talk to you about that. I mean, I 
think that that's a two-way street, and, and, and I, I want to I hear your thoughts as well, but here's what I know. What I know is that as a media company, I have inherited a kind of old way of thinking, right? Which is that media is a, it's a broadcast kind of business, right? I, I create a thing, and I like send it out into the world in this, in this kind of um, uncontrolled way. It's on newsstands, it's on the internet, it's on social media, it's whatever. And that doesn't work, I think, in a world in which we are becoming so good at targeting. You know, I mean, I have, there are targeted, there are targeted, uh, just use the word again, there are targeted communities out there, right? I mean, entrepreneurs gather. They gather at events like yours, they gather at conferences, they gather at incubators, they gather everywhere. And I don't want to be just kind of like buckshotting everywhere all the time. I really want to be going directly to them and saying, listen, how can we be a resource to you? How can I be a resource to you? Because I love talking to entrepreneurs and sharing what I've learned. And also, I mean, the thing that people most ask me about, which makes a lot of sense, is how to get press for your business. And that's something that I'm really happy to kind of illuminate. And so um, you have built a community we are creating resources for people exactly like the people in your community, and that I think means that there's a lot of opportunity to work together. Okay, very excited to do that. Do you have one uh, last parting uh, word of wisdom for all the budding entrepreneurs listening to this? Mm. Um, you mean aside from subscribe to Entrepreneur Magazine? Needless <laughs> to say, above and beyond subscribing to Entrepreneur. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that the Here's this. Um, one thing that we didn't hit upon in the kind of, uh, because I gave you too long of answers, um, but in our, in our, it was supposed to be rapid fire, was, um, was Amazon buying Whole Foods, right? And uh, I think that thinking about what Jeff Bezos does and the way that he approaches business is something that everybody can learn from. Um, I mean, he's got himself an enormous empire, but listen to the things that are kind of at the core of that. You think long term. Right? You don't just work short term. You think about the customer. You focus on who you're serving and what they want. And, and, and if you do that, everything else will come. Don't worry about serving advertisers. Don't worry about serving, you know, whatever. Um, and, then, and then finally, uh, this is something that I just, I just read in a story um, recently in which he was talking about how he had kind of saved functionally the Washington Post. He said, um, you can't shrink yourself into relevance. You know, don't think small. Think big. Get out there, constantly be trying to grow and improve. Uh, if you stay in one place, everyone else is gonna move in front of you. Okay. Amazing, this was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you hey, coming by. Thanks a lot, it's Looking fun. forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, absolutely, thanks so much. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.